Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Nicole Cuffey is a DC-based writer with a BA from Columbia University and an MFA from the New School. She is a lecturer at the University of Maryland and American University. Her work can be found in Mason's Road, The Master's Review, Volume 6, curated by Roxane Gay, Chautauqua and Blue Mesa Review, and her chapbook, Atlas of the Body, won the Chautauqua Janus Prize and was a finalist for the Black River Chapbook Competition. When she is not writing, she is reading, and when she is not reading, she is probably dancing. Enjoy our conversation about her novel, Dances. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Dances, a novel. Thank you so much for having me. This is a really, really beautiful story about body and dance and family and so much else. And I would love for you to tell listeners about it and what inspired you to write it. Sure. Yeah. So it's a book about a black ballerina who gets promoted to the top tier of her ballet company and is kind of dealing with some sudden life events and just the consequences of her sudden propulsion into fame. And I think for me, it was really a matter of, I was really hungry for a book like this and it didn't exist like this yet. There aren't that many fictional ballet books out there and there certainly are very, very few about black ballerinas. So 
you know, I couldn't find a book like it. I really wanted that book to exist. So I wrote it or I tried to. (laughs) That is what they say to do, you know, go to the bookstore. And if you can't find what you're looking for, just create it. (laughs) There you go. Easy. But I bet it wasn't just that easy. To <laughs> um, have you always wanted to write a book about something? Like, where did this all come from? Give me your life story. Take me back to the beginning and tell me well, the story. Back in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'd been writing for a while. I have short stories that are kind of floating around out there. Um, this actually was not my first novel. It's just the first one that is being published. And I think for me, it's just a matter of really wanting to tell stories. You know, I, I did it as a little kid kid. I do it as an adult. Um, Storytelling is just, I think, compulsive for me. And so, you know, for me, sort of tapping into this specific story was really about wanting this story to be out there, wanting this story to exist, and also wanting to immerse myself into this world that I love so much. And do you do ballet? I'm sorry, I should know all this, but I don't know. Are you a ballerina as well? Uh, I do do ballet. I'm not a professional, but I, I love ballet. I'm at the ballet as often as I can be there. And I do dance as well. Do you do other types of dance or ballet only yourself? Uh, just ballet. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of dialogue, particularly between the mom in the book. I always forget everybody's names, Cece and her mom and how negative an influence her mom sort of was on her dreams and pursuing her dreams and saying things like, well, this is not what we do. And, you know, this is a foolish aspiration. And, and even just like from the body type, like this is not what black bodies are meant to do or whatever. And like the muscles and all that stuff was the mom intended to be just sort of like all the negative voices in the world. Do you know what I mean? Like all the negativity that like you have in your own head or did you have negative sort of influences? Not really to tell you the truth. Cece's mom could not be further from, from my actual mom or anyone who had a part in being a support system for me. I came from a very supportive family who would have supported me if I decided to go off and join the circus. But I think that for me, Cece's mom is sort of, yes, the embodiment of sort of, I think a lot of the time our harshest critics are sort of these internal voices. And so Cece's mom sort of represents that, but externally, and also just someone who just truly does not understand their child and their point of view in the world. And I, you know, I think Cece's mom, you know, really kind of does want what's best for her, but is just kind of trying to support her in the worst possible way. Well, I love the support of her older brother. And you had one scene where they were walking to school in the beginning and, you know, you, you got a glimpse of who he was when he wasn't just being the great older brother and what other things he was up to in order to support her and pay for her ballet habit, which, which was great. And then when it said, and then she hadn't talked to her brother in 10 years, I was like, oh no, I wanted him to come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she did too. Yeah. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> So how many times have you seen the Nutcracker is really my question here. Have you seen, how many times have you gone to the Nutcracker? So the Nutcracker, um, much like many of the dancers who dance it, is is really not my favorite ballet in the world. It is undeniably a classic and, you know, it definitely does bring people, especially families, to the ballet. So you have to love it for that. So my rule is that whenever I move somewhere or if I happen to be in a new city during the holiday season, I have to see the local company's version of the Nutcracker. So I have probably seen the Nutcracker. I don't know. It's not, it's not. A ton of times. I've probably seen it maybe like five or six times from uh, different companies. But, you know, my husband actually really loves it. It's the one ballet he knows and he loves the Nutcracker. So we, we've gone a few times just because I know he loves it. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. So what was it like developing Cece as a character, 
figuring out, I mean, even though you said you'd written one novel that was not published, that is so common. I feel like every novelist says that you have to write like a practice one. Like it's, you don't think it's a practice one, but like, how could you possibly have it be perfect without trying it? You have to try doing it first and then do another one and sell it. I think, I don't know, but tell me about the process of writing that other novel and what was that about? And then coming to this novel, because this novel is really good. You, I mean, you figured out how to do it. You know, the characters are, (laughs) you're immediately rooting for them and, you know, anyone with body image issues can relate to, to CC as well. And that was yeah. a, big, a, a big strain and female friendship and a new nickname for Catherine, which was lovely, you know, <laughs> so taking through the writing piece of everything. Uh, so for me, you know, for a number of years, I was one of those writers who was very much like, you know, I'll just sit down in front of a blank page and let the characters tell me what they want the story to be. And I'll just go from there, which I think is a lovely sentiment, but it, doesn't even match who I am as a person. I mean, you know, when I go somewhere, when I travel, you know, I research everything. I learn the language. I plan an itinerary for the entire time. I'm a very organized, research-based person. So this, you know, sort of go with the flow thing is just not, it wasn't working very well. And so once I figured that out and really got to know the kind of writer that I was, things started happening a lot more easily. So typically what I do is, you know, I have an idea, I begin a lot of research. And then once I feel like my research is at some stage of completeness, although for really, it's never really quite done, I will create an outline. So I'll create sort of a basic outline that just kind of uh, sketches out what I want to happen and when, and when some of the sort of major turning points in the plot will happen. And then after I create that basic outline, I actually go back and create a more detailed outline, which goes chapter by chapter and kind of pinpoints everything that's going to happen in that chapter and sort of more thoroughly sketches out character development and plot propulsion, all of that stuff. And then really the writing process is just going back and filling in that detailed outline. And that's typically how I do it. I mean, the one quirky thing that I do in my writing process is I do write all of my books out by hand first, just because that feels better to me for some reason. And then I go back and transcribe and kind of do some light editing as I'm typing it up. And then my major edits will come a little bit later. Oh my gosh. I love it. What a system. It sounds perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Do you allow yourself to change? Like if a character all of a sudden starts wanting to go in a certain way, do you let that happen? Or are you like, okay, no, I'm going to stick to this outline or maybe it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, at least for me, the beauty of the outline is that I set it up so I can set it free. So it's there as sort of a structure, but I am totally allowed to deviate from that outline as I'm going, if I need to. I love that. I set it up so I can set it free. That's like the best advice on outlining. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Pithy to the point. Amazing. So then what happened? Tell me about the first novel. Let's go back there. What was that about? So the first novel that I completed was my grad school thesis. It's it's still there. It's just in need of some heavy editing. <laughs> um, and there are actually two other books between that first novel and this one. And again, they're there. They're just they just need some editing. <laughs> I've been a very prolific writer for a while. I tend to write like about a book a year. Um, that might change now that I have a child. We'll see what happens. Aww. But <laughs> yeah, so it's just you know I'm I. I kind of am just a compulsive writer. Like I have, I have to get it done. I have to get it out. So whether it goes anywhere or not, it's, it's there. <laughs> Amazing. How old is your daughter? Uh, it's my son. He, he's uh, two months old. Yeah. <laughs> two months old. Wow. Yeah. Why did I say daughter? I have no idea. I'm sorry. 
clearly losing my mind over here. And funnily um, enough, uh, while I was pregnant, we decided to wait to find out what gender we were having. We, I thought he was a daughter for a very long time for uh, most of my pregnancy. So <laughs> that, that works. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with babies. Really? Oh God. So cute. So are you sleeping at all? I got very lucky with this kid. I'm, he pretty much slept through the night from day one. Oh my gosh. I know that we're very lucky and I know this could change. Like I, I know there's a four month sleep progression to look forward to. So we'll see what happens. But so far he's, he's been a very, very good sleeper. That's great. That's excellent news. <laughs> yes. um, so tell me the story of selling this book. Uh, so basically, you know, this book started out in its rough form and I edited it down and started sort of pitching it or sort of sending it around. And that first sort of round of submissions just didn't really go anywhere. And so usually when that happens, I'm like, okay, I just need to go back to the drawing board and take a look at what else I can do. And then the pandemic hit and it had been a while since I had touched this book because I sometimes need a little bit of distance before I go back and do a major revision. Um, so it'd been maybe like a year or two since I had touched this book and the, and the pandemic hit. Um, and, you know, I was working from home. I rarely left my house. And as an introvert, that was absolutely lovely for me. <laughs> kind of miss it. And I was like, you know, let me return to this book now that I have all of this space. I don't have to commute anywhere. I don't have to be anywhere. Let me uh, really focus on editing this because I really feel like this is this is a time for this book to to get out there. And so I, you know, spent maybe a couple months just very intensively revising this book and really strategically putting together a list of agents that I could send it to. Um, and that was the time when I got interest. Um, and I think it was just because I had that space to really sort of laser focus on it and really work on it and improve what I was trying to do with this book. So then you picked an agent and then what was it like sending it out? Was it a short process, a long process? Were you freaking out? Like, what was that period of time like? <laughs> I kind of feel like it was a short process, all things considered. It went on submission and uh, we got the offer, we got the bite from One World pretty quickly. But at the time, it felt like it took a <laughs> long time. I was so anxious, you know, all of that anxiety and uh, imposter syndrome started kicking in as I was, you know, because there's a long stretch where you just kind of don't hear anything until you hear something. And so, yeah, we, you know, once we got that bite from one world, it just seemed like it was a really, really good fit. And, you know, things really kind of happened, accelerated pretty quickly from there. Uh, your, your dog is jumping around. How cute. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> my dog is sleeping right here. I don't know if you can see her. She's like, oh, she's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting. It's funny because, you know, I have been on both sides of this now in the excruciating yeah. waiting game of my own yes. work, only to <laughs> that with negative stuff and then finally positive stuff, but so much waiting and always feeling like, you know, checking my emails all the time and asking mm -hmm. my agent, like, could you just follow up? Can you see what's going on? You know? And that was right. sure. I'm like, okay, but there's like a whole pipeline of stuff that's already there. Like it's rare mm -hmm. unless there's some reason, unless an agent comes in and is like, you know, this one's going to auction within a week, da -da -da, you got to get on it, which I don't know how they know, but you know, like, unless there's some <laughs> something like we need your bid by like in like three days, then we have like a whole process that we follow and it doesn't, it's no reflection on the book at all, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I know everybody knows this, but now that I see all uh, this, it doesn't feel like it in the, in the moment, you know, it doesn't like, feel like it on the other side, especially after yeah. years of work, but right. anyway, not that that's so profound and I'm sure you know this, but <laughs> 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 reflecting on 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So what are you working on now? So right now I have a couple projects that I'm trying to work on kind of simultaneously. So I have a book that I'm editing and I have a book that I'm writing. So kind of doing both at the same time, very different books. One's about a cult. One is about music. So yeah. Awesome. That's exciting. And when are you finding time to write and do you find time to read? So reading kind of happens while my son is napping and I find that audiobooks are excellent for this because it's just first I can be doing something else while reading at the same time which is great and writing I mean one of the, at first it seemed like I was never going to be able to write again I was like I knew this was coming I knew it was going to get hard once the baby was here but I wasn't prepared for what it was going to feel like to just not have the time to write at all especially as someone who's breastfeeding I mean it's just like every few hours I am doing something and so eventually I started to think to myself, I'm like, you know, once he sort of established more of a schedule, he goes down pretty consistently between eight and 10 at night. And I'm a night owl. So I was like, why am I going to bed when he goes to bed? I'll stay up and write for a few hours, maybe till like one or two, and then I'll go to sleep. 
And because he's such a good sleeper, he won't wake me up again until like four in the morning or so. And then he'll be out until like a reasonable hour to wake up. So I'll still get enough sleep, but I'll also have this, this hours long chunk of time to, to sit and write. And so that's what I've been doing is I've just been burning the midnight oil. Once he goes to bed, I, um, you know, my husband goes to bed with him usually. And I just kind of hang out in the living room with, with the dog and get a cup of tea and just write for a few hours before I go to bed. I know when I, when I am not so tired that I'm passing out early and I have those rare, I would say maybe once every two weeks, I have like a big later night spurt of energy for God knows what reason, or there's just too much stuff that I have to finish before I go to bed. And then I, you know, then I'm in it, you know, and everybody's asleep and like the kids are asleep and everybody's like, you know, making their sleeping noises and I can just, (laughs) (laughs) so nice. It's so nice. Oh my gosh. And I have trouble putting myself to bed because then I'm like, if nobody's like, you know, mom or come to bed and I'm like, well, I could just stay up forever. You know, it does feel like that. And then you have the consequences the next day of trying to stay up forever. It's like, you're not 18 anymore. Don't do that. (laughs) I'm going through that right now. I did have one of those late night spurts last night, which is why I, you know, can barely form a sentence today, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it happens. It does. (laughs) So what types of books do you like to read? Oh, I have such an eclectic taste in in books. Like I love any kind of literary fiction I'm into it. I love reading, especially like historical fiction. I think the research component of that is it really speaks to the my nerd side. I love that. I love YA. I think YA in the past like 15 years has done something so cool. It kind of went from a genre that was kind of only for a certain age group to a genre that is more diverse and talking about these really interesting complex topics and dealing with such interesting subject matter. So I do love YA as well. I grew up reading sci-fi and fantasy and horror. So I still love those genres, love a cozy mystery. Um, And I love really, really good like literary nonfiction. So yeah, kind of run the gambit of possible genres. (laughs) That sounds good. What is your relationship to your own body like post ballet-ness or, you know, <laughs> and yeah. how, has, how has writing the book shifted it, if at all, and how has motherhood shifted it, if at all? Yeah. So, you know, writing the book, especially the, the pieces about uh, Cece sort of relating to her body, I wanted to be really careful to make this more complicated than she's a ballerina. So she has anorexia just because I think that's the story that we tell most often about dancers. Um, but it's not the only story that's out there about this. Not the only experience for dancers is to have a, a disordered, uh, relationship with food, but I did want to sort of talk about the complexities of being in a career that makes such crazy demands of the body and the result being that you have this hyper-focus and this hyper-consciousness of your body in a way that I think can't be healthy all the time. So that was what I was really trying to explore in the book. But at the same time, I do think that I brought some of my own relationship with my body into the book. So I do struggle with an eating disorder. And it was part of why I didn't want to put it on the page, just because I wanted this to not be about me and dance. I wanted her to be her own character and to not be confused with the author, which I think sometimes happens in fiction. But yeah, I mean, you know, and it's not dance's fault. <laughs> I think dance is uh, sort of something that happened 
uh, because of my hyper-focus on my own body instead of causing my hyper-focus on my own body. But yeah, I've I've, uh, struggled with an eating disorder that I only sort of like started calling an eating disorder when I was like in grad school. Before that, I was like, oh, it's fine to only eat this many calories a day. That's that's just a diet. Like that's that's healthy. That's fine. Um, so once I got out of denial, I actually started talking about it and getting more comfortable with the idea that no, this is like not healthy. And you know, I think a lot of people sort of um, within the black community grow up with this idea that black women don't get eating disorders, black women don't get anorexia. I grew up with this idea. So it was part of my struggle to accept that that was what was happening with me is that, well, but that, that doesn't happen to me. That doesn't happen to this community. We don't get that. So I think sort of coming to terms with that and then motherhood has, has kind of been a doozy (laughs) because, you know, just anorexia is so much about wanting to be in control of your body all the time and wanting your body to be predictable, wanting it to do what you want it to do and look how you want it to look. And pregnancy alone throws all of that out the window. You don't know what's going to happen to your body. And it's entirely out of your control for the most part. I mean, and you know, you can't, or you could, you could continue to have a disordered relationship with food, but you really shouldn't because it would be bad for your baby. And, you know, we, we so wanted my son, you know, he's so, he's so precious and he's so wanted. I wasn't going to do anything to put him at risk or to harm him in any way. So I had to get myself in gear and fix my relationship with food, at least for the duration of my pregnancy. Um, and now that I'm kind of still sort of at the tail end of the fourth trimester and just kind of watching my body readjust to not being pregnant anymore, I'm not going to lie. It has been a little bit difficult to, to, to adjust to this, you know, my body being different in, in a way that it's never been before. But in another way, it's also been kind of helpful because it's kind of forced me to accept my body's fluctuations. It's forced me to seed some control a little bit. And also it's forced me to trust my body and to recognize that it really does do what's best. It does what it needs to do. It, it gave birth to this beautiful baby boy and it is feeding him and nourishing him. I mean, he went from being a little string bean when he was born to this little chunky two month old. It's, it's crazy to me how, how chunky they get off of just milk. It's so cute. Um, so, you know, that's my body that's doing that. So in a, in a way, motherhood has made my relationship with my body more difficult, but in another way, it's also kind of forced me to, um, grow some love for my body in a way that hasn't existed previously. Well, I think it's really amazing to speak so openly about it and to talk about your eating disorder and help all the people out there who might not have acknowledged that they have one or they do have one, but maybe don't have the right community or don't hear about it enough. Or, you know, I feel like not like there's ever a right time and place, but I I feel like people are so hard on themselves. Like what you were saying with like, well, mm-hmm. you know, people in the black community should not have any disorder. People are, are you know, people in their thirties, people in their forties, like, you know, everybody has a thing, right? I should not have this. I should not have that. And in truth, yeah. you know, the demons that we have don't just discriminate time, place. It doesn't matter. All the exterior right. things, like these are just quirks that happen to so many of us in different, different ways, right? They just come out, a little bit different. So I think you're being so open is hugely helpful. I love when you're like, and then I realized I had to just fix my relationship with food and thinking, well, I mean, there are many times that I was like, 
I need to fix my relationship with food that I have not been able to do so. Do you know what I mean? So right. how did you how did you do that? Like did you was it literally like a self-talk? Did you get help? Did you do workbooks, therapy? Like mm-hmm. how did you how did you do that even just for the pregnancy? Definitely therapy. I mean, I'm oh I've always been a big proponent of therapy. Um and I continue to be in therapy um to try to help me. I guess fix isn't the best word to use because I don't think this is something that I'm going to cure. I think it's something I'm going to learn how to live with in a healthier way. But I think honestly, part of what made it so that I could eat healthily during my pregnancy was the fact that I knew pregnancy was nine months long. (laughs) So I could commit to eating in a way that made me uncomfortable for nine months. And then it turned into this relief because I could eat fast food and not like beat myself up about it. I could just say, I'm pregnant. I can have this because I'm craving it. So it, it almost gave me permission to eat in a way that would have felt forbidden and would have felt extremely uncomfortable before pregnancy. Interesting. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to tell you, not if, I don't know if this helps in any way, but what you were saying about like just seeing what happens to your body during pregnancy for, if you decide to have more kids, like you realize like, Oh, okay. This is what like my body, who knew, but like, this is what my body does. And now it's going to do it again, maybe a little bit different this time. Um, and then now that I'm in like, you know, post, you know, I mean, you know, menopause, I don't even know where I am, but whatever, you know, this other end where my body is shifting again. And you're just like, Oh, this is what my body does when I age. And that's what her body does. And that's what happens to like her face. And that's what happens to (laughs) her hair. And like, you know, we all just have to like sit back. We're so cerebral. And so, you know, so many ways, like everything is analyzed and, and yet these things like, you know, we all just have beating hearts and things happen to us. So Anyway, absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know if that was any consolation, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't know. But you know, I would encourage you if you haven't already, and I know you you do a lot of fiction and short stories and all that. But you know, writing essays about this or reaching out or you know just sharing your thoughts on it. What you have a magazine, Zibby Mag, would love to run something if you wanted to write about it or anything. Would love that because yeah. I really think it's so important. And, uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear you talk about it openly. It really is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've just started practicing talking about this openly because for so long, it was something that I just kind of did privately and, you know, kind of really good at making sure that people didn't notice that I wasn't eating. So part of, you know, working on my relationship with my body and food is not hiding anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I feel that, secrets themselves are the most destructive thing. And whether you're hiding your eating or you're hiding something about yourself or, you know, you, you can't, you can't completely connect because there's always something in the way. Um, and it can weigh on you. So I, I don't know, even the fact that you're being open, I'm sure will will help. I did an interview. You might want to go back and listen. I could put it in the show notes or something, but with Nora McInerney, who was talking about, you know, her own struggles with anorexia. And I remember asking her, well, like how, you know, how do you get through it now? And she's like, I'm not sure I am getting through it. You know, like, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I just, we need more people speaking up and, and doing what you're doing because it's hard. It's, it's hard. It is. It is. Oh, so good for you. I mean, that sounded so condescending. Good for you. But I mean, <laughs> I really mean it. It's, it's brave. It is brave. And hopefully helping you as well as helping others. I hope so. 
if I hadn't stayed up so late, I would have said that better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wish you all the best with dances and I'm excited to, you know, follow along in your successes and long, you know, awaited accolades and, you know, (laughs) just know that there's a lot of stress and I know, you know, all this too. I don't know why I'm giving you advice. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry. (laughs) I feel like this like protection, like, I don't know. I feel like I want to like protect you or help you or something. I don't know why I'm feeling like that. uh, You don't need my advice. You're an incredibly strong, amazing woman. So anyway, if you want it, I'm here. (laughs) All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank (laughs) you. It's so nice talking to you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.